situation. He took a pinch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Please. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Bob The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my win. What's going on, everybody? Thinking about so many different elements going on in the world of sports. Wanted to take the time to reintroduce myself. I'm John Pielli. I'm the host of the Past Ball Show, show that has been alive for the past 12 or so years. You can check it out on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Music, or you can watch the videos on YouTube. This is a program centered around saving sports history. So there's a saving sports history segment um, towards the middle to the end of every show. And this is what I'm going to call, to to quote one of, one of my buddies, Greg Carlucci, a bullshit show. Uh, one that I don't have a ton of sports topics that I want to immediately divulge into. But what I am interested in is breaking down a couple things as we sit in a, cer- a couple areas when it comes to the world of sports. The first thing I wanted to talk about is the NBA postseason outlook. And the fact that you're looking at the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference, at least I am, in a little bit of a different fashion. The Eastern Conference, I believe, is very top-heavy. You look at the Boston Celtics, you look at the Milwaukee Bucks, probably the two best teams based off of performance in a regular season this year. And I have to throw the Philadelphia 76ers in the mix. At the end of last year, coming off of the playoffs in the Golden State Warriors uh, NBA Championship, I had a lot of belief in Philadelphia this year. Um, I like the way that James Harden fits on that team. I'm not a huge James Harden fan. He wouldn't be in my top uh, 100 basketball players if I was listing um, current players right now. But I think he's a very good fit for the 76ers, and I've had a lot of belief in Philadelphia that this would be their year. But I look at the roster of Boston, I look at Milwaukee and what they've done, and even though I don't like Grayson Allen or Jay Crowder, I understand why the Eastern Conference is very top-heavy. You look at Cleveland, you got the New York Knicks, are really the, the next tier in regards to 4-5, and five. and then you got teams like, like Brooklyn, Miami, Toronto, uh, maybe a little bit of Chicago and Indiana kind of battling towards the back of the postseason picture there. Orlando has played a little better basketball within the last couple months. But I look at the top two or three teams there, and I say really that's the best representation of what you could expect for the NBA Finals. You look at the Western Conference and have a completely different outlook. I think it's wide open. In fact, the two top teams in the Western Conference right now, I look at Sacramento and I look at Memphis, and I think there's a lot of doubt, at least from the general public, in believing in either one of these two teams. Sacramento has played great basketball this year. I'm very happy for Mike Brown. He was one of my favorite coaches that the Cavaliers ever had, and I thought he deserves a very good spot in the game as an NBA head coach, and he's done a very good job with a young Sacramento team. That may be... Uh, overachieving at this point, but I think they're they're in the mix and they're going to be a good team for the next several years. The Memphis Grizzlies, this was supposed to be a big year for them. And I, I said this off the record, off the show, that if Memphis was going to make a run before other teams started getting a little better in that conference, like I think I look at Dallas and I look at Phoenix and I look at Golden State 
And while I think all three of them could come out of that conference and make it to the NBA Finals, sprinkle in a little bit of Denver, um, I think there is more vulnerability that exists with those teams right now than ever. And if there was a chance for the Memphis Grizzlies to jump towards the top and take over and get to their NBA Finals and maybe win a championship, this would be the year. The unfortunate thing with the Memphis Grizzlies, and I'm not breaking any barriers with this, I'm not talking about anything that ain't getting bullshitted about on however, however many other talk shows there are that talk about basketball, I'm, I'm worried about them combusting internally. I'm wondering about their maturity level. I'm wondering about their star player who may be one of the next to transcend this game and be one of the greats in the history of basketball and John Moran. And wondering where his head is. Wondering where the leadership around that team and those players, particularly Ja, as far as somebody getting in his ear and telling him the things that he needs to hear as opposed to what he wants to hear. And I see a lot of immaturity in that team. And I have a feeling, as you're watching Dallas and as you're watching Phoenix, and you're going to watch Golden State as they get themselves in a playoff shape, which I don't know is always the best way to do it. There's a lot of good teams in that Western Conference. They could be beaten very easily. And if they don't make a deep run into the playoffs and maybe make it to the NBA Finals this year, we could start talking about how limited of a time they had as a postseason team. Because the West is stacked. The West has the majority of the best basketball players in the National Basketball Association. Remember, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving have joined a conference that already had LeBron and AD. And you know I'm down on Russell Westbrook, but he's still going to the Hall of Fame. And Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and, of course, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, the two-time defending most valuable player, and Ja, and on and on and on of the great players in the NBA that are all in the Western Conference playing for, like I said, a large group of teams that any one of them I could see making a run to the finals. And that includes Sacramento, and that includes the before-mentioned Memphis. I think there's going to be a lot of belief in the Dallas Mavericks with Kyrie Irving in addition to the talent that they had last year led by Luka that they can make another run, let's say, to the conference finals or maybe to the NBA finals. We'll see how that works out. And then Golden State, the team that was there last year, the team that's won four NBA championships with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, they're always going to be lurking. There's always going to be the expectation that this team, come playoff time, is going to be able to go out there and make some noise. And I don't dispute that. And you'll wonder, the Lakers... Are, are, are they going to make the playoffs this year? They did some you know, reorganizing. They did some uh, spring cleaning, moving Russell Westbrook's contract to for the only player that I see out of the group that has really made an avid contribution, and that's Jared Vanderbilt. He's done a very good job on the defensive end. He's getting some rebounds. He scores a little. Uh, he's made a difference on that team. Rui Hachimura has done an okay job. Mo Bamba not getting a ton of minutes. And then you look at Beasley, who, who's not really made a huge impact for them. And they're in a spot with LeBron James out for the next two or three weeks. They're going to rely very heavily on their other superstar. And a superstar that I don't believe gets put in the place that he really needs to be. He's a top five 
overall NBA player. You don't think of that because he plays on the same team as LeBron James. Kind of the same way that Scottie Pippen was never discussed as a top five player in the NBA at this moment when it came to the fact that he played on the same team as Michael Jordan. And I think the same thing kind of goes on there. Now, listen, we could have this debate all day, who's the top five players in the NBA right now. But to me, Anthony Davis is probably number five. You know, I look at Jokic, I look at Doncic, I look at uh, Joel Embiid, uh, obviously Giannis, the Greek freak, you know, Kevin Durant, when he is fully healthy, Kyrie Irving, the scorer that he is. There's so many that we could talk about in regards to the best players in the NBA right now. And what are we saying? At this moment, what we're saying, best careers, there's so many different ways you could look at that, that angle or that part of the conversation. I'm not really interested in it now, but if you want to keep it going further, Add through the comments. You could tweet at me at John underscore PLE. Of course, if you're watching a YouTube video, just drop it in the comment line. We could keep the discussion going offline. But my, my difference between the two conferences, the West and the East, I think the, the East is either going to be Boston or Milwaukee or Philadelphia. I think there's five other teams that are going to play postseason basketball that I don't think have a legitimate chance to get to the NBA Finals. When it comes to the West, uh, even though I believe it a little less, when it comes to Sacramento and Memphis, they can get themselves to the finals if they're playing their best basketball at the right time. But I like Phoenix. I like Dallas. I like Denver. And I think this is a time for Denver to really assert itself and become that NBA powerhouse to get themselves to the finals. But there's also Golden State lurking. And I think you kind of forget about the Clippers a little bit. Clippers will get themselves into the playoffs. Minnesota, I think, will get in, but I don't think they're going to make a whole lot of damage. And then, of course, there's Golden State. You think of their team. And uh, to me, I almost see a little, like, pompousness and arrogance. And it's not my belief about the whole team. It's not my belief on Draymond Green or Steph Curry or Steve Kerr. But I think they're in a point where they, they spend a lot of time overanalyzing things. They're the head of the load management type of thing. Yes, with the Clippers, too. Kawhi Leonard, basically, is the face of load management. But... The discussion should always be, can a team just click it on when it matters the most? And I think about that when it comes to the Lakers, and the Lakers are in this discussion for a different reason. They basically aborted their mission for the team that they had up to a certain point. They made the trade for Hachimura. They made the trade, like I said, for Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt and D'Angelo Russell, who's not playing right now. How are they going to be able to get themselves together in a short period of time? Because right now LeBron James is out for the next two, three weeks. At some point, LeBron will come back. Maybe the cohesion will exist a little better with the newly added talent there. But can they click it all into gear? Let's say playing in the playing part of the tournament where you expect if the Lakers are going to make the playoffs, they're going to be in one of those games. They're going to be 7, 8, 9, 10, more likely 9 or 10, but... You know, you think of the teams that are still in the mix, the Utah Jazz, even the Portland Trailblazers, and the New Orleans Pelicans. You know, they may have to play a game or two. Are they clicking? Is this a situation where we're comparing it to Stanley Cup playoffs hockey, where you want a hot goaltender at the right time? I don't know. That's what If I was the Lakers and I was a Lakers fan, that's what I would be leaning on. I look at, different, look at it differently when it comes to Golden State. There's a team that's done it before. 
Are they saying, hey, we're going to get our rest. We're going to make sure that we're 100% healthy at the right time. Yeah, that's a, that's a, good, uh, that's a good idea. But can they click it on? and play against teams that are used to playing at a high level, winning a high percentage of their games. And I think it'll be interesting, a Golden State-Memphis first-round matchup, a Golden State-Sacramento first-round matchup would be very intriguing because it would answer some of those questions. Can a team with a ton of talent that just has kind of gone through the motions in a regular season kick it up when it matters the most against a team that has played at a high level that doesn't have a lot of experience. I find that very fascinating. So thinking about baseball, and I was going to set myself in regards to my 30 to 1 MLB countdown previews, which I'm going to do. I'm going to do a YouTube video for each one of the 30 teams in descending order. So the first one I'm going to do is going to be about the Oakland Athletics, a team that I have absolutely no faith in, I think is the most poorly run organization from its owner all the way down. They check off on every stereotype in regards to somebody that wants to make an excuse of why they refuse or have no interest in playing competitive baseball. This is where I'm going, so you may not like, if you're an Oakland A's fan, my my, my Oakland A's team preview, but that's coming up in a little bit. But I kind of wanted to start it by talking about teams that I believe have become um, institutional locks to make the postseason. Now, when it comes to any sport, we understand the significance of losing a player through injury. Obviously, basketball, you have a star player. He's carrying your team. He's not able to play. Ask the Brooklyn Nets for all the time that they didn't have Kevin Durant in regards to injury. They didn't have Kyrie Irving for all the different off-the-court distractions he was causing or being part of. So you you understand that without your star players, a star-led team is not the same. But in, in baseball, you know that there's a lot more to it than just one player. But injuries are going to impact things. Injuries aside, which I have to say because injuries can't be predicted. You can talk about players that are injury prone, and if they get hurt again, you say, hey, I'm not surprised. You know, Chris Sale has missed the better part of the last couple years as he's recovering from Tommy John surgery. If he had another setback, you'd be like, hey, he's just, you know, he's getting a little injury prone. You can talk about players that have missed a considerable amount of time over the last several years, and if they get hurt again, you say, I knew that was going to happen. But that's not the point I'm looking to make. The point I'm looking to make is when it comes to institutional locks, there is a precedence that's been set. You look at the Houston Astros, who have been in a league championship series each of the last six years. The Los Angeles Dodgers are going almost on a decade for consecutive playoff appearances. Now, the Yankees might miss the playoffs every once in a while, but nobody remembers it because they're in the playoffs so often. It's like an every year type of thing. So I look at the Dodgers, I look at the Yankees, and I look at the Astros, and I'll throw the St. Louis Cardinals in the mix too as four teams that from an institutional standpoint are in the playoffs every year. And I think that's what you strive for as you're trying to build a successful organization in baseball. Not to make an appearance in a postseason once in a while and then have two, three years go by where you're trying to figure it out or not make a couple postseasons in a row and then watch everything you built kind of self-destruct 
you know, thinking of uh, Inspector Gadget, uh, you know, the message that he always leaves at the end, hey, this message will self-destruct. <laughs> Boom. You know, goes to goes to nothing. And I think, you know, as you're running a baseball team, you don't want that to happen. You don't want to be known to be a one-hit wonder or have one really good season hoping that it culminates with a championship and just know that hey, it's probably not going to happen after this. And I think that's what the Mets are striving to do. I think that's what the San Diego Padres are striving to do, to be teams that are going to be expected to be in the postseason each year. I think the Philadelphia Phillies are thinking the same way. Um, trying to think of teams that are trying to develop. You know, the Texas Rangers have been kind of in and out of the playoff mix for the last while. I think they'd want to get something a little more stable, but would have to start by getting one consecutive playoff appearance. They weren't in there last year. Um, I'm kind of a little bit torn, a little bit ambivalent when it comes to my belief in the Texas Rangers right now, but it's something to think about when I do my Texas Rangers preview because I think there's a large um, barrier, or a large uh, separation in regards to where I could have them. I can't at this moment imagine me picking them to overtake the Houston Astros, but I also believe they're in a very competitive division, that they might be the second-best team in that division, but the Seattle Mariners are still very good. I'm not sure I'm willing to quit on the Los Angeles Angels yet because I think they've made some good moves this offseason. You know how I feel about the Oakland Athletics. But to me, you know, you look at, other teams that I don't think there are institutional locks. There's nothing in the AL Central that kind of stands out to me. I think the Cleveland Indians can easily repeat. I think the Minnesota Twins could be much better. Think about one great thing that I like about what the Minnesota Twins did is they they basically set their whole offseason up like they were moving on from Carlos Correa. They acquired Kyle Farmer from the Cincinnati Reds, probably or expectedly to maybe be their starting shortstop or second baseman. Jorge Polanco would play the other the other position, and you know got Joey Gallo upgraded their, their rotation in their bullpen, and then in the end, ended up signing Correa anyway. I think that makes them better. The White Sox. There's going to be a lot of the banter that goes around in regards to um, are they better off without Tony Larusa? Was he the problem there? And if the White Sox succeed this year and get back on top, win a division title, perhaps maybe make a little uh, noise in the postseason, then I think that narrative is going to come back alive. But there's one division in baseball that I, I really don't, I really can't pick a winner, and that's the AL Central. That's something to think about. Um, the AL East, to me, is the only division that I could see all five teams making the playoffs. Now, you understand I'm not saying all five teams will make the playoffs. It's mathematically impossible. But I, I look at the, the Central, which has the Royals and the Tigers. I don't look at them as possibly making the playoffs. The A's are in the West. You know, The National League West might have an improved Arizona Diamondbacks squad. But they also have the Rockies that I think are taking a step back or not moving forward. You got the Reds and the Pirates in the NL Central. And you got the Marlins and the Nationals in the NL East. The AL East is the only team that I could see five teams clicking on all cylinders. The lack of interdivision games could possibly lead to all five of those teams finishing at or near 500. 
a lot of people are down on the Red Sox, but I think the Red Sox deserve some investigation when it comes to how they've constructed this team. There's a lot of stress and negativity centered around Xander Bogarts leaving in free agency to join the the San Diego Padres, but I think more needs to be looked into how they've adjusted their pitching staff, the offense that they have added, and the fact that they made their bullpen a absolute priority. The Red Sox, I don't necessarily think are going to finish in last place in that division. And it doesn't mean I believe the Orioles are going to be there either. I think the Red Sox and the Tampa Bay Rays are going to be the two most interesting teams in that division because I think it's going to determine how the rest of the division is going to go. If both the Rays and the Red Sox are good, I'd be worried if I was a Yankee fan or a Toronto Blue Jay fan and obviously a Baltimore Orioles fan. If the Rays and Red Sox are not good, I think the rest of the division bodes well for those other three teams. Now we're going to jump into the segment that I always want to get into. I'm going to, when I'm not lazy and have a couple minutes, I'm going to put together a little bit of a creative bumper to talk about saving sports history. And one of my biggest um, interest in what I want to do with this show, and as long as I keep this show go, going, I want to save sports history. So today is the, third, uh, the sixth day of March 2023. And in 1919, on this day in sports history, the NHL championship was decided. It wasn't called the Stanley Cup at that moment. The Montreal Canadiens, the now 24-time um I guess hockey champions, if you didn't want to say Stanley Cup, defeated the Ottawa Senators. Now, the Ottawa Senators are a different Ottawa Senators team than that's active right now, but they won in the best of, I guess you'd call, five, because there was a tie in there, three games to one with a tie. On this date in 1964, the legendary boxing champion and maybe the best of all time, in his own mind the greatest of all time, Muhammad Ali, changed his name to what it's known as today. Cassius Clay was his name before that. He officially changed his name in 1964. 1982, at the time, the highest scoring game in the NBA history was held between the San Antonio Spurs and the Milwaukee Bucks, a three-overtime game won by San Antonio, 171-166. to On this day in 1985, now Hall of Famers Eno Slaughter and Arky Vaughn, two players that I believe were amongst the top buck 25, buck 40 in regards to all-time offensive position players. Arky Vaughn I have in the top 100. I think he's at 95, right, 94, something like that, between Edgar Martinez and Derek Jeter. But two baseball Hall of Famers got their wings on this day in 1985. Also on that same day, Mike Tyson knocked out a person by the name of Hector Mercedes. And this wasn't a, a fist fight at a club or anything. This was Mike Tyson's first ever fight in a scheduled uh, four-rounder where he knocked out Mercedes in the first round in his first pro fight. Um, on this date in 1900, Baseball Hall of Famer Le- Lefty Grove was born. He passed away in 1975. Former one-armed Major League player during the war years, Pete Gray, was born on this day in 1915. He passed away in 2002. Longtime MLB second baseman, shortstop, and coach, Cookie Rojas, 
was born on this day in 1939, so happy birthday to him. Uh, on this day in 1940, Willie Stargell, Baseball Hall of Famer, obviously the We Are Family King, former MVP and Hall of Famer, was born in 1940, died in 2001. Former NBA guard Sleepy Floyd was born on this day in 1960. Uh, former NFL dominant running back, All-Pro Jamal Anderson was born on this day in 1972, the same day as legendary all-time basketball great Shaquille O'Neal. Joe Sewell, former Major League infielder, passed away on this day in 1990. What stands out about him, in 1932 he had a, a ratio of at-bats per strikeout of 167. Just think about that when you're thinking about your, your player striking out uh, three times a game. Joe Sewell struck out, what, about eight times a season during the years that he played in Major League Baseball. And sadly, we also lost uh, Baseball Hall of Famer Kirby Puckett, who ranks as exactly number 100 on the top 100 offensive position players of all time when it comes to the Passball Show and JohnPielli.com. We lost Kirby Puckett on this day in 2006. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Alwish's Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two A's, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We'll be back with you hopefully with a couple in a couple more days. We'll start my 30-1 to 1 MLB countdown previews, which will be one video for each one of the 30 teams as we count down to the team that I believe is and should be expected to win the World Series in 2023. Of course, the Passball Show can be listened to on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, videos on YouTube. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side. Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. Now they come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. That'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Especially prospect horrors and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. I'm a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Tony Knack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside and hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if you were a fan of the team that was batting and the ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You damn well right better give him a contract extension. You damn well right better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.